Awesome. How are you doing this morning, church? Good to see you all. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Hey, if you're visiting us for the very first time, I want to extend a huge welcome to you. No my haere mai kite fare karakia or Elam Christian Center Manurewa. Thank you for choosing to share your Sunday uh, with us. Well, we've come around the Word of God, so you can go ahead and take your Bibles out, take out your Bible apps. Uh, we are going to pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. And we pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, O Lord. I thank you, Lord, that your word is like manna to our souls. And so I thank you that as we leave this place, we leave nourished because of your word. Speak to us, O God, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Have you ever, uh, are you guys familiar with the term, make yourself feel at home? Make yourself at home, feel at home. It's a phrase that we often use a lot, um, and we often use it to invite someone to feel uh, comfortable or to feel like themselves, feel relaxed in a new environment. Um, but I wondered, I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, what does that actually really mean? What does it mean to, you know, come on over, make yourself feel at home? What does that mean? Is it simply about physical comfort, or does it go deeper than that? Making yourself at home is not just about physical comfort. It's about creating a sense of belonging a sense of security, a sense of, of comfort. You see, more than just the physical surroundings, more than just the location and the sounds of home, what makes the place feel like home is not the tangible stuff, it's the intangible stuff. It's not the possessions that you have in your home, it's not the kind of cuts of meat that you've got on your fridge, it's not the size of your TV that makes a home feel like a home. It's feeling like home, feeling at home goes beyond the four walls of your home. It goes beyond time and space. I remember what it was like with Haley before we got married. You know, that first little while when you're dating someone that you really like, and so you do certain things to kind of impress them. You don't want to scare them. You know, so you'd kind of laugh elegantly in a certain way, or, you know, you'd probably eat your burger with a fork and knife and You'd probably sleep like a boss on the couch, you know. Uh, for the guys, you'd probably send them, you know, a, a picture of you pumping iron at the, at, at the gym. You know, you send them a photo of you in the gym or you'd send them a, a photo of your collection of sneakers or your bike or your, your car. All of these things in, a, in an attempt to woo them because you don't want to make yourself feel at home right away in their lives because you might scare them away. And so you continue to test the waters and see if it's safe. You show them a bit more of who you are. And then you get engaged and you continue to test the waters again and see if it's safe, show them more and more of who you are. And then you get married. And then for the first few weeks, you continue to test the waters and see if it's safe. You show them more and more of who you are until suddenly you're comfortable with them and bam, you've made yourself at home. <laughs> Haley would tell you, or she will probably tell you that her experience of me before we got married slightly different to her experience of me now that we are married. Before we were married, I kind of kept it low-key, you know, on the laughing front, you know, keep the laugh like a, <laughs> you know, that kind of a laugh. Now, if I hear something funny, I'd throw my head back and I'd rip the hyena laugh, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that kind of a laugh. Can't help it. I just feel at home with Haley. Before we were married, she thought I was the kind of person who loved order and I loved, you know, highly organized and proficient in the way that I wanted things to be done. But now she's realized I actually don't mind the chaos. 
You know, she walked into the nursery the other day and she was like, what is happening? You know, paint buckets here, curtains, old curtains and a curtain rod here, boxes of stuff here, baby things that need to be folded and put away here, drawers and, and right in the middle of the chaos, I've got the keyboard just balancing on this bookshelf and I'm just having a good jam to myself. Can't help it. Feel right at home with Hayley. A few days after we got married, she thought I was a kind of, you know, quiet sleeper, you know, the kind of who doesn't snore the house down, the kind who keeps to their side of the bed, the kind who is just peaceful and serene. Unfortunately, she's married the kind of sleeper who loves to just extend themselves across the entire bed. One night in the middle of a dream I was having, uh, I, I was like, we're in the middle, like sleeping, and in the middle of the stream, I just like went to her in the middle of the night, boo. And she freaked out, so scared. The other day, she said to me, do you realize that you shoot water fountains when you sleep? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, when you sleep, you fully aim at me and just blow water fountains at me. And I was like, wow, can't help it. Just feel right at home with Haley." But you know what? Now that she's married, she started shooting. Uh, now that she's pregnant, she started shooting back water fountains. <laughs> You see, making yourself at home is more than just finding a cozy spot on the couch. It's more than just wearing comfortable clothes. It's more than just personalizing a space to reflect your personality. It's more than just hanging up a family photo and arranging your favorite books on the shelves. To feel at home means to be comfortable in who I am, to be my authentic self without fear or judgment or or a reaction or rejection. To feel at home is to be understood on the deep level. To feel at home is to be able to openly share my thoughts, my dreams, my fears without reservation. It is this level of intimacy that then fosters trust and allows us to let down our guard knowing that we will be accepted for who we truly are. Actually, the thing that makes one feel at home is the relationship. It is the bond that we share within the relationship. It is the trust that is cultivated within the relationship. It is the honesty. It's the loyalty. It's the love that is shared within a relationship. When we find this rare connection in the presence of another, it becomes more than just a place where we reside. It becomes the essence of what it means to truly feel at home. In a world filled with uncertainty and chaos, uh, it is comforting to know that we as well have a place to call home, a place where we can truly be at home, a place that extends beyond the physical realm, a place that transcends the boundaries of space and time, a place that offers solace and security to those who seek it. You need to know that God is our home. In Him, we find comfort. In Him, we find security. In Him, we find belonging. And so no matter where we roam, you best believe that God is our home, sweet home, and as eternal presence, you can reside with peace and joy that will never subside. Today's message is titled, Home Sweet Home. Psalm 84 says this, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. 
Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, bless is the man whose trust is in you. God bless the reading of his word. When you study the psalm, there's so much that you can glean from it and grasp from it. So I want to encourage you to take a deep dive into the psalm when you have an opportunity to do so. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word of God as you read it and meditate on it. But the author of Psalm 84 refers to how certain people are blessed. Three times he says this as, and I want to look at that this morning. You need to understand that these blessings are specifically for Old Testament Israel. God would dwell in a particular way amongst his people, either tabernacle or temple and so these blessings were for them. So the first lot of people that the psalmist calls blessed are the one who dwells in the presence of God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. The psalmist says of those who dwell in the house of God, those who dwell in the temple, those who dwell in the tabernacle, he says that they are blessed. At the very top of this particular psalm, you'll see a subscript that says, a psalm of the sons of Korah. To figure out who the sons of Korah are, we have to look at one of the places where they are being mentioned, 1 Chronicles chapter 9. In 1 Chronicles chapter 9, God is appointing different people from different tribes and different families to do some of the work that went on in the temple. So we read that after he mentions the priests, after God mentions the Levites, he then also mentions the sons of Korah. Here's what it says, Shalom, the son of Korah, the son of Ebiaseph, the son of Korah, and his brethren from his father's house, the Korahites, were in charge of the work of the service, gatekeepers of the tabernacle. Their fathers had been keepers of the entrance of the camp of the Lord. The sons of Korah were the gatekeepers who stood at the threshold of the tabernacle. They worked as doorkeepers of the place that symbolized the presence of God among his people. And so the author of Psalm 84, who was most, most likely a representative of the sons of Korah, is singing about how much he longed to be in God's presence, how he loved the dwelling place of God. He says that he loves us so much that he longs, even faints, to be there. And this from a guy who was always there. I mean, he's a doorkeeper in the tabernacle of the Lord. He's speaking in poetic terms to help us understand that it is not the physical building that he is longing for. The psalmist's appetite for God is insatiable. He wants more and more of God. It is not the grandeur things that's within the, the building that he's longing for, but the presence of the person who dwells in the tabernacle. Now, that doesn't mean that God's presence only dwelt in the tabernacle and the, and the temple. Uh, God is omnipresent. 
dwelling everywhere on earth and in heaven. God was not restricted to the tabernacle or to the temple. They were just the places that God chose to dwell in a particular powerful way among his people in the Old Testament. And so the psalmist longed to be in the tabernacle. He longed to be in the temple. He wanted to be in communion with God. He longed to be in the courts of the temple. He says that a day in the courts of the Lord was better than a thousand elsewhere. He loved that place because he longed for the presence of God. And one of the incredible things about the psalm is that the psalmist looks up to the structure of the tabernacle and he notices a couple of birds who've made their home in the tabernacle of God. He sees a sparrow, this bird that is used throughout the Bible to describe the humble, the lowly, the common and ordinary, a bird that is referred to as seemingly having not much value. This simple bird now finds majestic meaning by having their house in the presence of God. The psalmist also also sees the swallow, the, this bird that is fast moving and, and moves quickly back and forth in all sorts of directions. A bird that, if, that would wear you out if you would try to follow its, 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 its movements. This restless bird builds a nest and settles down with her young in the presence of God. What an incredible picture of the fact that in the presence of God, the restless can find rest. That in the presence of God, the lowly can find majestic meaning. The insignificant can, can find that they are valued. The disturbed can find peace. The troubled can find hope. There's just something about the presence of God. There's just something about dwelling in the presence of God. It's no wonder the psalmist said, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Secondly, the one whose strength is in God, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, the psalmist calls them blessed as well. In verse 7 of the psalm, Zion is mentioned. Zion is a reference to where the tabernacle and later the temple in Jerusalem would be located. But the psalmist is letting us know that those who pilgrimage, those who are traveling from miles away to be at the temple, they are blessed. This was true of the majority of the people in Israel. Many lived far away and had to travel distances to get to the temple. And, and he gives us, and so the psalmist gives us this picture of the road that leads to Zion. How they find strength when they set their hearts on the presence of God. Even if they have to try, travel miles to get there. The psalmist says that when they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. Baka in the Hebrew is a word that means the Baslam tree, a tree that's often found in dry and parched landscapes. And the resin of the Baka tree would ooze out like tears. And the word Baka sounded similar to the word, uh, the Hebrew word for weeping. And so that's why oftentimes uh, scholars of the word of God would refer to the valley of Baka as the valley of weeping. The psalmist is letting us know that the people who are on this journey to where they to where they are live on their way to Zion, people who are on a journey to the place of God's presence, they have to go through the valley of Baca in order to get there. That the journey that they must make is one of dry, difficult days filled with hardship and hopelessness that would cause weeping. That in the middle of that valley, the thing that would sustain them and give them strength is hope in God's presence. That when every Israelite journeying towards Zion would hold on to the hope of God's presence, even a dry, desolate and barren place can become a valley of springs and pools where they can drink and be satisfied. That, that tears of, of sadness would become springs of joy as they look to the presence of God. 
there's just something about the presence of God. There's just something about being in the presence of God that brings hope in the midst of weakness and weariness. It's no wonder the psalmist said, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Thirdly, the man whose trust is in God, the psalmist calls them blessed. The psalmist says, that he would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tent of the wicked. That having considered God to be a sun and shield, a God who'd give grace and glory, a God who'd withhold no good thing from those who walk in his ways, the psalmist's sweet resolve was that he wanted to be in the presence of God above all else. And so the blessing is not dependent on where one lived, whether they dwelled at the temple or whether they they lived far away. The point was that the person whose entire life, entire being, mind, body, and soul was dependent on God was considered blessed because it's all about the presence of God. There's just something about the presence of God. There's something about the presence of God that causes you to trust Him. It's no wonder the psalmist said, blessed are those whose trust is in you. And as we look at the psalm, we can kind of scratch our heads in utter dismay because we're not quite sure how on earth this applies to us today. But in order for us to apply the Psalm 84 in our world in 2024, we have to view the psalm in light of the cross. We have to look at the psalm in light of every single thing that Jesus has done because Psalm 84 is not where the story ends. That even though these blessings are specifically for Old Testament Israel during a time when God was dwelling in a particular way amongst his people, it doesn't mean that it's not applicable to us today. You see where the psalmist declared a blessing for those who worked in the temple and dwelt in the temple, Jesus Christ speaks a greater blessing that through Through Him, we are the temple. We are the temple. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 to 17 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. The good news of Jesus coming was that God had come to dwell in the midst of His people. And in Jesus... we would see, his people would see his glory. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was telling the Jewish people that he was the temple, that he was the place where the presence of God dwelt, that he was the revelation of God's grace and glory in the flesh. That is why when Philip asked Jesus, you know, I want to see the father, Jesus said, to him, you mean to tell me that you've been with me this whole time and you still don't know who I am? Jesus was letting them know that to be with Jesus was to be in the presence of God because Jesus is God. And so when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain of the temple that separated man from God was torn in two. God was making a way for sinful man like you and me to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And now to everyone who was in Jesus, to everyone who's put their faith and hope in Jesus, God's presence now dwells in you and it radically changes how you live. That means that we wake up 
with the presence of God in, our, in us. We, we walk through every single detail of our lives with the presence of God in us. We go to bed at night with the presence of God living on the inside of us. The application of the text for us today is that the blessing today is not for those who dwell in God's house. The blessing is for those whose bodies, whose bodies house the presence of God. Knowing that you house the presence and the glory of God, it changes the way that you use your body. It changes the way that you act. It changes the way that you think. Can't think that I'm the temple of God. It changes the way that you speak. It changes the way that you love. It changes the way that you view others. In other words, you walk in the worship of God. You don't need to go to no designated place to, to worship. No, you walk in the presence, in the worship of God. But you see, this temple imagery is not just personal, it's corporate. Not only are you individually the temple of God, but the Bible says that corporately, we are the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when we gather as the church, there is something unique about our coming together. That our gathering on a Sunday is no casual thing. You best believe that our coming together is a blessing. That our being here this morning is a blessing. And here's why, because God is among us. Turn to the person next to you and say, we are the temple. Wake them up and say, we are the temple. <laughs> oh. Where the psalmist declared a blessing for those whose heart were set on pilgrimage, traveling, Jesus Christ speaks a greater blessing to those whose heart are set on being with God. You see, what was true for the psalmist then is known to us in even a greater way that whilst we may not be journeying to Jerusalem, that whilst we may not be journeying to the temple, whilst we're not focused on pilgrimages to Zion, it doesn't mean that our hearts have no hope. No, for the Christian, we are journeying heavenward. The Bible says that we are strangers and exiles, that we are foreigners and temporary residents on earth, that we seek a homeland that is not here, that we desire a better place, a heavenly place. And here's what Revelation 21 says about that heavenly place. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away you see, more than the physical descriptions of the beauty of heaven, more than anything that we could hope to find in heaven, the most important thing about heaven is not what is there, but who is there. The dwelling of God will be the man and will be man in this holy city. The dwelling of God, sorry, will be with man in this holy city. Later in the same chapter in Revelations, you will read about the measurements that, that match the, 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 the shape of the temple. The whole point of this imagery is that every single person who has put their trust in Jesus Christ will be secure and fully be reconciled to God. You see, God is with us now. His presence dwells in us now, but we are longing for more, aren't we? 
I don't know about you, but my heart is set on the hope of a day when sin and suffering will be no more. And we will be with God in perfect, pure, endless joy forever and ever. Where the psalmist declared a blessing for those whose hearts were set on pilgrimage, Jesus Christ speaks a greater blessing to those whose hearts are set on being with God. Turn to the person next to you and say, set your heart on God. Set your heart on God. Finally, where the psalmist declared a blessing for those who lived their lives trusting God. In Jesus Christ, it is still a blessing to live our lives trusting God. Psalm 62 verse 8 says, Trust in Him at all times, you, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. In Jesus Christ, it is a blessing to live our lives trusting God because God has sent Jesus, the Word made flesh, and He identified with us. He hurt as we hurt. He experienced sorrow as we experience sorrow. He knows what it's like to feel abandoned. He knows what it's like to feel alone. He knows what it's like to look to God the Father in the midst of total darkness and silence and ask why. He identifies with you and He is saying to you this morning, trust in me. Come on somebody. Trust in the one who walked through the desert night and has come out on the other side in victory and victorious light. The one who will one day come back bringing all who trust in him on this earth to glory with him in eternity. Won't you put your trust in him today? Because in him we find comfort. In him we find security. In him we can find belonging. And so no matter where we roam, you best believe that God is your home, sweet home. In his eternal presence, you can reside with peace and joy that never subsides. If I can ask the team to join me. As I come to a close, there are two groups of people that I want to speak to this morning. First, if you are here today and you feel far, far from God, perhaps you're wondering if you will ever experience forgiveness and, and God's blessing, then I've got good news for you. You need to know this morning that in Jesus, the psalmist's deep longings for God's presence, strength and forgiveness are, not, uh, are met not by a journey towards the temple, but met by a God who journeyed towards his people. You need to know today that the God who created this entire universe, he's the same God that created you and me. He created you for purpose and He created you on purpose. He created us to know Him. He created us to love Him. He created us to come into loving fellowship with Him. But the Bible talks about this thing that keeps us disconnected from God. That thing is called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. And the Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. But you see, my friend, it didn't end there because God in His grace, He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay the penalty of sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, He took on Himself what you and I were due for sin. And so right now, God is extending to us His grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with Him in heaven. But we must turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. Put our hope in Jesus. Put our trust in Jesus. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. 
And so if you're here today and you're saying, yes, I want to accept this free grace, uh, this free gift of salvation. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to make him the Lord of my life. If you, if that's you and you want to do that this morning, I'm going to count to three. And listen, you've got no reason to be shy or afraid. I've been here. No one in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who've been saved by grace. But we want you to know that we're right here with you and we've got your back. And so if that's you and you're saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I'm going to count to three and I want you to lift your hand and then you can put it down straight away. One, God loves you. Two, He's speaking to your heart right now. Three, lift your hand. Thank you. Thank you, bro. I see your hand. Amen. Thank you, Lord. There's one more thing I want you to do for me. Listen, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And I need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. This prayer is just an expression of you putting your hope and your faith in Jesus. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. And you rose from the dead. I turn away from sin and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, why don't we put our hands together for everyone who made that decision for Jesus this morning. If you said yes to Jesus, can I encourage you? There's a team. We've got a team in the foyer who would love to talk to you. We'd love to get a gift into your hands. And we want to congratulate you in person. So if you prayed that prayer, maybe you didn't put up your hand, but you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, I want you to meet us in the foyer and our team will greet you and tell you about your next step. The second group of people that I want to speak to this morning are those who have grown weary in the journey. That in your heavenward pilgrimage, You've grown tired. Your heart is set on heaven, but you're tired right now. You don't think that you can hold on for much longer. Perhaps today you find yourself in the midst of the valley of Barker. You are in the place of weeping. You are in a dry place, a barren place, a dark place. You can't seem to see no way out. No, no way to be refreshed, no way to be nourished. You can't see life where you are. And so you're saying, what on earth am I supposed to do here? I want you to know that Psalm 84 gives you the perfect answer. Keep your heart fixed and fastened on your hope in God. Even when the journey seems bleak right now, lift your eyes to the hope that you have in God. When you find yourself going through the darkness and difficulty, Psalm 84, Psalm 84 says to you this morning, you have a light in God. When you're feeling restless, Psalm 84 says to you this morning, there is a refuge in God. When you're feeling worthless this morning, Psalm 84 says to you that you have worth in God. When you need protection, Psalm 84 says to you this morning, God will be your shield. And when you feel like you're all alone, Psalm 84 says to you this morning, you've got a home with God. You see, the thing you need to understand is that Psalm 84 is part of a group of Psalms that the pilgrims would sing on their way to the temple. And so every time they gathered with their hearts fixed on God, every time they journeyed to the temple of God, every time they had to walk through the valley of Barca, they could not help but overflow into public 
praise. They could not help but declare the words of Psalm 84. The posture of their hearts was directed towards God. So much so that the overflow was a declaration of praise. The confession of their mouths was, God, you are our strength. And so my encouragement for you this morning is the next time you find yourself in the valley of Barca, the best thing that you can do to posture your heart towards God is to fill your mouth with the praise of God. Fill your mouth with God's praise. Let the confession of your mouth be, God, you are my strength. God, you are my shield. God, you are my protector. God, you're my provider. God, you are my defender. God, you are my light in the darkness. And as you do, you better believe that the same valley where you were meant to experience weeping is the same valley where you will experience joy. The same place where you experienced weakness is the same place where you'll experience strength. The same place where you were meant to experience weariness is the same place where you will experience joy. All because your strength is in God. Because in Him you'll find comfort, in Him you'll find security, in Him you'll find belonging. And no matter where you roam, you best believe that God is your home, sweet home. In His eternal presence, you can reside with peace and joy that will never subside. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you, church.